0: Almost two months ago, close to 100 members and friends of this congregation boarded two large buses to attend the March for Our Lives. Along with hundreds of thousands of others, we converged on our nation's capital to protest the epidemic of mass shootings in this country, especially in our schools. The March for Our Lives was one step in a process of creating social change, which will also require both registering people to vote and getting them to the polls uh, to support politicians willing to pass legislation to prevent gun violence. There is good news on that front. It turns out you can vote at age 18, and we have a wave of young activists ready to cast their first ballots. One of the reasons I'm bringing up the March for Our Lives this morning is that one among the many powerful moments that I remember from that day um, and one of the themes that stood out to me is that by far the most frequently quoted person, who who listened to most of the speeches in March for Our Lives? Quite a few of you. Uh, The most frequently quoted person to me seemed to be clearly the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., just quoted again and again by multiple people. Of course it's one thing to quote Dr. King, it's another thing to be Yolanda King, his nine-year-old granddaughter, uh, who gave one of the most moving speeches that day. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it to you. She's clearly got a career in public speaking ahead of her, if she wants it. As a fourth grader, though, who's become all too accustomed to practicing lockdown drills, uh, she said, my grandfather had a dream that his four little children would not be judged by the color of their skin. But by the content of their character. I have a dream that enough is enough and we should live in a gun free world, period. Now Tomorrow is Memorial Day, an important annual holiday to remember and honor the memory of all who have died while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. And although there are cynical forces who try to paint prophetic calls for change as being anti-soldier, I'd invite you to consider that the young Miss King's dream of a gun-free world is not incompatible with honoring all those who have sacrificed their lives in the past to the cause of military service. Would it not, of course, be a better world if no one had to die in the future in military service? But at least from my perspective, I'd be content with a starting point of common sense gun laws that at least keep weapons of mass destruction that should belong at least only in war zones to keep those off our streets. For now, though, on this Memorial Day weekend, I'd like to invite us to spend a few minutes reflecting on the legacy of Dr. King that the nine-year-old Yolanda King invoked. It turns out that young Miss King was not the first King to expand uh, the dream from dismantling racism to dismantling militarism. And while Dr. King never ceased his concern with dismantling racism and white supremacy, in the final years of his life, he was increasingly vocal about the vital need to address the ways that systemic oppressions intersect. Perhaps the most famous example is the, service, uh, the sermon he delivered at the historic Riverside Church in New York on April 4, 1967, precisely one year before his assassination. It was a sermon titled, Beyond Vietnam... And Dr. King addressed what President Eisenhower had previously called the military-industrial complex, a formidable union of defense contractors and the armed forces. In King's words, a nation that spends more on its military than on social justice is a nation approaching spiritual death. It's not to say that we need to spend nothing on the military, it is to say, invite you to consider we are overfunding the military and underfunding diplomacy and other Um, alternative methods. A few months later, Dr. King announced plans for a poor people's campaign in the summer of 1968, although he was killed before his plans could come to fruition. As King expanded the scope of his activism, there were major figures, both black and white, who denounced the shift and encouraged him to just keep your focus solely on civil rights. But King was determined to move forward with his expanded dream. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the original Poor People's Campaign, and a week before we boarded buses here in the UUCF parking lot to the March for Our Lives, we gathered here in this sanctuary for a town hall to raise awareness about the new Poor People's Campaign that's going on at least through the end of June in its first phase. And if you go back and study Dr. King's dream for building the beloved community, he spoke not only about what it would look like. For King, it would look like a global vision in which all people have enough, have a share in the global wealth of this earth. But he also spoke about the three stumbling blocks that routinely hold us back from turning our dreams into deeds. Dr. King used to say that the triple threats to beloved community that most consistently hold us back are racism, militarism, and materialism. Cain believed that overcoming these triple threats would require three major shifts, moving from tribalistic practices of only caring about people that seem like us, whatever that means, uh, which leads to discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice, of which racism is one among, one among many major examples, to respecting the inherent worth and dignity of all human beings, realizing we are part of one human family. Moving from widespread poverty, hunger, and homelessness to what he called an international standard of human decency that will not tolerate the preventable suffering of our fellow human beings. And moving from the use of military power to resolve disputes to resolving disputes with diplomacy peaceful conflict, resolution, and reconciliation of adversaries. If you're only funding military power, many of you probably know the saying that if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know, we need other tools in our toolbox. Fifty years later, the New Poor People's Campaign is seeking to both carry forward the entirety of Dr. King's original vision as well as to update it for the 20th century, what we've learned in the last five decades. Consider, for instance, the first Earth Day was not until April 1970, almost two years after King's death. So the New Poor People's Campaign is expanding Dr. King's original triple threats to beloved community into five areas that we've seen consistently hold us back from building the beloved community we dream about. Systemic racism, poverty, the war economy, ecological devastation, and our nation's distorted morality. The charismatic leader at the forefront of the new Poor People's Campaign is the Reverend Dr. William Barber. I preached about him before, after the publication of his important book, The Third Reconstruction. I encourage you to read that book if you haven't. If you ever get a chance to hear him preach, I highly recommend going. There are also clips of him widely available online. If you're interested in getting more involved, you can sign up for more information at poorpeoplescampaign.org. A second phase of the campaign coming later this summer after these weekly events end uh, will involve building a broader network, introducing policy demands. They're going to remain nonpartisan, but they will be registering people to vote. Like Dr. King's famous Beyond Vietnam sermon, Dr. King, Dr. Barber has also spoken out about the ways that the war economy uh, is holding us back from building the world we dream about. He said that he would include not only cutting spending for war and on defense contractors, but also foreign military aid and the militarization of U.S. police forces, particularly those patrolling minority communities. Our communities are not war zones. This position is often, as well, often cynically critiqued as an attack on our soldiers, which is the opposite of Dr. Barber's intent. He's clear that his concern is not the private in the U.S. military who earns less than $30,000 a year. His concern is the average CEO of a military contractor who earns an average salary of $19 million a year and has this incentive to keep the war economy going. Barber's the son and grandson of veterans. He has a deep love of veterans. And he's also clear that reversing militarism also has to include diverting more money to the Veterans Department medical system to care for our veterans, medical needs, mentally, psychologically. We must reject attempts to conflate legitimate critiques of the military-industrial complex, which Eisenhower first called our attention to, with illegitimate attack on soldiers. This confusion is similar to the conflict continuing to play out in headlines this past week about the decision of NFL team owners to find teams whose players choose to kneel during the national anthem. As my colleague, the Reverend Jake Morrill, has written, the team owners made mention of what they call patriotism. So it seems like a good time to reflect on what is the difference between patriotism and Nationalism. Patriotism is a noble virtue, the willingness to sacrifice oneself as needed for the ideals and people of your country. Nationalism is not only despising other nations, internally it is despising anyone and anything that slows or opposes the consolidation of power within one's country alone. Patriotism, the, most easiest, the easiest way to distinguish patriotism from nationalism is to note that patriotism welcomes dissent. It actually sees it as potentially patriotic, uh, as a healthy test of its basic principles. You know, we'll, we'll even allow you to burn the flag, because that, that's like you know, the extreme of patriotism, because we recognize you're doing it out of love of country. Nationalism always suppresses dissent since it no longer engages questions of right or wrong, or really any questions at all. The players aren't kneeling out of hatred for the flag or the country but to protest the gap between the values of the national anthem and the land of the free and the home of the brave that it's supposed to represent and the gap that the reality is the presence of racism and white supremacy patriotism comes from the heart and inspires others that's why you're seeing it in one person inspiring others to lead that's what to kneel as well that's what your that's patriotism inspires others nationalism comes from fear and must be enforced that's why you see this we're going to make you stand or stay in the locker room the bumper sticker version of this difference is that nationalism is basically saying god bless america and no place else right right Whereas a healthy, self-differentiated patriotism says, I love my country, but I think we should start seeing other people. <laughs> and That's multiple ways, right? Seeing other people. This Memorial Day weekend, as we remember and honor the memory of all who have died while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces, may we recognize the difference between supporting our military and supporting militarism, the false belief that weapons and aggression are always our first, best, and only tool. For anyone interested, a great read along these lines is Ronan Farrow's book, War on Peace, The End of Diplomacy and the Decline of American Influence. He's been doing lots of interviews, so if you don't have time to read the book, um, Google Ronan Farrow, um, War on Peace, and lots of interviews. For now, in closing, I'll mention one more book, a classic, Dr. King, uh, a classic. Uh, Dr. King, in what we now know as the final year of his life, published a final book titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Fifty years later, that question is as relevant as ever. Clearly, there are leaders in our country today who are intent on choosing chaos and exploiting fear and resentment to sow seeds of division. But there is another way. The Poor People's Campaign then and now challenges us to consider that if we are to choose not chaos but beloved community, it will require us to address the stumbling blocks that have most consistently held us back from doing that. Systemic racism, poverty, the war economy, ecological devastation, and a distorted morality that does things like confuse nationalism and patriotism. The road before us is not easy, but I am grateful to be with you and so many others on the journey. Please rise, embody your spirit let 's sing together hymn three eighteen we would be one tell you one last thing briefly. Uh, if you might knows who said this saying that i 'm about to, to let me know i 've always seen it attributed to anonymous, but it speaks about the importance of many of us. Um, have things that come more easily to us than others. Uh, and this saying speaks about in the importance of not just having one virtue, but working on those things that we're weaker on. So it's about the importance of having courage, love, and wisdom. That if you have courage alone, that can be the sort of stereotypical archetype of the warrior, you know, the ordinary soldier who has courage, but maybe not enough love and not enough wisdom that can be kind of a foolhardiness. Uh, but if you have, um, wisdom without, um, you know, in a kind of a cold, you know, wisdom without love, tempered by love and without, um, courage, that can actually look like cowardice, as with the ordinary intellectual who's in the ivory tower writing about how to change the world, but not actually out there doing it. Uh, but if you have, um, love, Without wisdom and without courage, that can look actually like the ordinary member of a community of faith whose love is actually kind of a sentimentality because there's no wisdom, there's no courage behind it. But if we begin to combine and weave together wisdom and love and courage, we can transform the world and the people that have often have those things when they transform it for the best. So continue your journey in love but also with wisdom also with courage. Care for one another. Care for this one earth. Do justice. Make peace as you go. Whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, that goes with you out into the world. We're different for having spent this time together. May you live boldly and with thanksgiving.